0: Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 82. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $640 each, with Ethereum or ETH coins trading at $15.20 each. Yes, it's true, listeners, prices are headed moonwards. And the cryptocurrency trading is fierce all around the world, with more people logging in daily to get a piece of this highly volatile action. To find out more about the action, a good place to start is CryptoCompare.com. There you'll find great information about the most heavily traded cryptocurrencies, plus information about the different exchanges, wallets, crypto history and everything you'll need to know to help you decide if the tech is really there for a given cryptocurrency and whether or not to invest or trade. It's all there folks at Mm, mm, CryptoCompare.com. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me today as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin capital of the South. I'm your host, John Barrett, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. <laughs> We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love talking with people about Bitcoin. Longtime listeners, thank you once again for tuning in and for your generous tips. New listeners, welcome to the show. We hope you enjoy it. On today's show, despite a flu that I've been battling, (laughs) I welcome to the show Griff Green, formerly a chemical engineer turned community organizer for Slocket and the Dow. Today, Griff talks to us about smart contracts, autonomous beer kegs, and the universal sharing network that will change life as we know it. Listeners, today I welcome to the show Griff Green, the community organizer for Slocket. The Dow is now the second highest crowd fund of all time. Griff Green recently did what very few people in the world have ever done. He obtained a Master of Science degree in digital currency. Griff Green, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. How are you?
1: I'm great, John. Thank you so
0: much. So where are you right now? Where am I speaking to you from?
1: I am in Seattle. Uh, It's beautiful, actually.
0: Nice, man. So it's not raining there. <laughs> you know, I actually read somewhere that Nashville gets more rain than Seattle, but Seattle gets more of a steady rain. You always hear about Seattle being such a gloomy London-like city, but you're <laughs> yeah. having sunshine there today. Is that mythology that we're hearing all the time or what's going on?
1: Man, I do not know if I need to think global warming or what, but it has been beautiful this spring. It has really been fantastic. And I've actually been a nomad for about five years. I come to Seattle for the summers. because they're just Gorgeous, Mm -hmm. but in the winter, I have to escape because the clouds are never ending and you never get to see the sun. And I'm a big fan of the sun.
0: Me too. Where do you go in the winter?
1: Oh, everywhere. Um, Let's see. Uh, I love Ecuador. Uh, I've probably been to Ecuador maybe six or seven times in the last five years. And then uh, Thailand, India, Australia. Last year, I went uh, to Bali and then New Zealand and then Mexico and LA. And then went all the way through Central America to go back to Ecuador and work there. The so, You know, there's a lot of flexibility when all you need is a laptop to survive.
0: Yeah, wow, man. The life of a crypto nomad. Now, what do you call yourself? A crypto nomad? What can we call you?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, the classic is digital nomad. But I I think crypto nomad is better because the whole time while I was doing it, I was getting a master's degree in digital currencies. So. I was uh, absolutely focused on consuming as much digital currency and crypto media as possible, which is why I'm a big fan of your show, because yours is one of the more fun ones, so I could take a break and just enjoy a good conversation.
0: Oh, well, thanks, man. So let's see here. The DAO, the DAO, a universal sharing network. Okay, so Griff, this is some pretty heavy stuff, talking about this universal sharing network, talking about Slocket. You're a software company. You're focusing on smart contracts. This is so heavy that for people who are listening to this show as their very first cryptocurrency or Bitcoin show ever, they might be lost. So where do we start so that we can kind of introduce the idea of the Dow and of Slocket to people who have maybe never heard of it, um, but also not completely bore people to death who are somewhat familiar with it. How do we start? And I also don't want to start with two basic uh, concepts, but before we do that, let's just talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to this space to begin with.
1: So I was a gold bug back in the day, Mm -hmm. and I heard, I was a chemical engineer, And I was putting all of my Federal Reserve notes that I was collecting straight into gold and silver. And that worked out really well for me to the point where, um, because I think I started buying gold, it was like 800. Mm. And uh, it kept going up. And so of course, uh, it was like a self-realizing victory. It's like, oh, I'm totally right. The Federal Reserve is a joke. What am I thinking? What is everyone thinking? And so then I heard about Bitcoin. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, I saw a Trace Mayer video And Bitcoin was about $5 and I tried for maybe a day or something to get some Bitcoin, but could never figure it out. So Hmm. let it go and kind of forgot about it. And, uh, eventually life changed on me. I, am a little bit too much of a hippie to be building factories as a chemical engineer. So (laughs) I got out of that shtick and ended up, uh, just kind of feeling, since I have this gold and silver backing me, I just decided to live really cheaply and travel as much as I could. Hmm. And, uh, on my travels, I, my, one of my friends had a friend who ended up, uh, finding a way to get Bitcoin. And so I, he mentioned it to me and I was like, oh my God, please, I will pay you. I think I paid the guy like $50 to buy $3,000 worth of Bitcoin for me. And, uh, hmm. I had to do some, it was pretty complicated. I had to have somebody sell gold for me and then give him the money. And then he had to show me how to use the Bitcoin. Uh, uh, I ended up using BTCE and Coinbase mm-hmm. because, uh. I, I bought Bitcoin, but I was really excited about d- diversifying. That was the whole point of buying Bitcoin. So I also went into Litecoin, Namecoin, and, and all those guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as Bitcoin was going up and up to 1000 I, I sold all of it at 300 You know, all the Bitcoin and it was gone. So I to- almost forgot about Litecoin and Namecoin huh. and all these things until one day I realized I, I, I went to Australia and... Uh, Australia was really expensive at, the, at that time. So I got down to my reserve where it's like, oh, I guess I need to go start, you know, trying to uh, be a chemical engineer again. Uh-huh. And uh, just making, I went to L.A. and made some resumes. And, and then I heard about Bitcoin going uh, or it went to a thousand. And I was like, you know, I wonder what happened to Litecoin. And I, uh-huh. I it blew my mind. Five hundred dollars turned into twenty four grand nice. which uh, you know, was more considering how cheaply I'd been living during that time, uh, that was that was that was infinite money. Uh-huh. So I I just uh got really interested in the topic. You know, I am an engineer, problem solver type guy and I, I never had much of a background in computers, but I really wanted to get into Bitcoin because I really thought it could change the world. And so um I actually just dropped what I was doing in L.A. and went to Ecuador thinking, oh, this will be perfect. I can bring, ec- bring Bitcoin to Ecuador. And I became, yeah, Andreas Antonopoulos was like my idol. Yeah. And I just uh-huh. like, what is he saying? How can I say this in Spanish, even yeah. if I don't know Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went down to Ecuador as like an evangelist trying to convert people. I ended up finding a really good community there. But then Ecuador made Bitcoin illegal. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So then that, that really ruined that dream. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I ended up uh, leaving Ecuador and focusing most of my uh, Bitcoin attention on getting that master's degree with mm. the University of Nicosia.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: uh, while I was doing that master's degree, I, another one of my favorite topics is the sharing economy mm-hmm. and really bringing about a future of an access based economy. You know, as a digital nomad, you kind of lose your respect for owning things. (laughs) You can't. Hmm. You just can't own things. And it's probably just a perspective thing. But uh, in the end, I I really thought, oh, man, it wouldn't be great if everything was just able to be accessed by your phone and uh, and that kind of stuff. So all my homework that I was doing for my degree was focusing on decentralizing the sharing economy. Mm-hmm. And then one day I hear about Flockett. Before, uh, they, while they were still in stealth mode I was just searching around digital currency and sharing economy. And somehow I came across Flocket's website. And so I sent them an email, didn't get a response. And then I sent them another email telling them, I, because I, I, uh, one of my homework assignments, I made a white paper for a uh, bike sharing uh, economy. Hmm. And so I sent them that they read it, and it was basically exactly what they were doing, too. Of course, what they were doing was real. I don't have much of a technical background. They were writing the code. So uh, so that made a match. It was a match made in heaven. It was just uh, really serendipitous that I could get involved with this amazing project and incredible people. Uh, I mean, the team is just superstars. Uh, Every one of them is a sweetheart and really fun to work with. We're having a great time um, talking and trying to work on this very complicated topic and explain to people that they're going to become part of a decentralized autonomous organization and make decisions and be our own, be the boss of us.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah And uh...
1: that, that has been kind of the new task ever since I joined Slocket is how do I explain to people that they are the boss and we are just working for them?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and,
1: yeah. Instead of the other way around, everyone wants shares in Slocket and it wants to be part of this movement where they just get to sit around and not do anything but own stock in our work and, uh-huh. uh, and that's because that's the normal model that makes sense but we're trying to create a new model and uh, because it's so new and there isn't really a good analogy for what we're doing it gets really difficult to explain it.
0: Tell our listeners in a nutshell then what is Slocket and then we'll move on from there and talk about the DAO.
1: Okay, that's a great idea. So Slockit, we are a blockchain IoT company. So blockchain is in digital currencies, and Bitcoin and that kind of thing. And then IoT is an internet of things, the ability for uh, you to control a device with your phone Mm -hmm. is really the easiest way to describe it. You know, if you want to change the settings on your refrigerator in Australia, but you're in Thailand, it doesn't really matter because you can just get on your uh, an app on your phone and control it with your phone mm-hmm. and so we're trying to bridge the gap so that anyone can control a device with the blockchain and uh the real the real uh the real technological advantage that we have are smart contracts on ethereum mm-hmm. so that is what flock does Slockit works with smart contracts on ethereum and we are attempting to create uh a link between a physical device that's in the 3D world, like a smart lock or an appliance or a 3D printer, and put a smart contract on the blockchain. That when money gets sent to that smart contract, it actually allows that uh, object to change and you know make something happen in that object
0: in the physical world. So let's pause for just a moment and tell our listeners, if you would, in layman's terms, what is a smart contract.
1: Ah, that's a great question. So a smart contract is just code. Mm -hmm. Uh, The DAO itself is a smart contract. So, you know, like lines of code, like a program, you know, uh, you could have a simple program that is, you know, controlling something on your computer, you know, like uh, for for because it's on the Ethereum blockchain and Ethereum is a very slow computer (laughs) Mm -hmm. effectively as a blockchain. That's kind of what it does. The programs for smart contracts have to be really simple. You're not going to be able to write a program for Internet Explorer Mm -hmm. as a smart contract, but you could probably write a program that says, if you send money to, I mean, I'll just use our smart contract. If you send money to this contract, then you will get a token in return. Mm -hmm. Like very simple. Like that's what the DAO is doing right now. There's just a little program that says. Uh, Kind of like Tokenly, which I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the network, Uh, you could send Bitcoin to a smart contract and that Bitcoin could be converted to send uh, a different token back to you. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe DAO tokens. And uh, that's a really simple smart contract. All it does is uh, react to inputs. And produce
0: output. Nice, well explained. I like that. So basically, a smart contract is just code that is going to say if this happens, then that happens. If this happens, then do that. Just like regular code that works with any software. Um, how complicated can it get? I imagine moving forward, it can get pretty complicated.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the whole DAO, the DAO itself, which has voting mechanisms, rewards, and and uh, just a, a complete in, incentive structure built in. That's modular and gives you the ability to split. All these complications can be added to the smart contract. The biggest problem is every time you add a p- complication, you add about 20 bucks that you have to fix. <laughs>
2: wow. So
0: <Yeah. laughs> um,
1: they can get complicated really quick.
0: Okay, so Slocket is a software company that focuses on smart contracts. Yes. So what is the DAO, and how does the DAO, and, and listeners, that is D like David, A. Oh, that is a decentralized autonomous organization?
1: Exactly. So, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to connect some dots. And it, it gets confusing, so I apologize. I hope I can simplify it. Okay. So Slocket is a software company, as you say, and we wrote software to create DAO. We call it the standard DAO framework. It's just a bunch of it, it's just a place on GitHub that you can go and copy some code. You know, it's just like kind of how Bitcoin is, you can copy the code of Bitcoin and create other uh, digital currencies with the, with the DAO, we created a framework, like the code for Bitcoin, and then someone else actually came and took the code and deployed the DAO. So Slocket wrote all the, is leading the open source protocol that the DAO is built off of, but the DAO is just a program on a computer. On the Ethereum blockchain, that anyone in the world can access. So I guess you know what I should probably start with. What is a DAO?
0: Yes, good idea. A
1: DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, is really simple. It's just computer code that incentivizes human action. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, uh, Bitcoin is classically considered the first DAO, mm-hmm. a decentralized autonomous organiz- organization. So the Internet would be a decentralized autonomous entity mm-hmm. because it doesn't have any way to incentivize human action. A The Wikipedia would be a decentralized organization because they're not autonomous, because mm-hmm. they're running on centralized servers that yeah. someone could take down. They're running, uh, they have bank accounts that governments could seize. Uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a corporation with a business license, uh, or they're a nonprofit with a business license. If, you're that, if you do any of those things, you lose your autonomy. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, a uh, government is considered an autonomous organization, a centralized autonomous organization, because right. no one can tell a government what to do. Mm-hmm. They are not able to be influenced by outside forces. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of does that explain what a DAO is?
0: Yeah, I think it does, and you know most of our listeners know the difference between an entity or an organization that is centralized and an entity or organization that is decentralized. So um, yeah, I think that that's I think that's pretty well understood. And of course, listeners, if you have any questions about what a DAO is and you want to really dive into it, there's plenty of reading online, and I know that Griff will be kind enough to pass some links to me that I can put in the show notes. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of contributions to the wikipedia page on decentralized autonomous organizations it's
0: pretty good nice okay
1: okay so i, I want to talk about so there's the basis of a DAO like bitcoin mm-hmm. and then there's the DAO. so i'm going to walk through the steps to get to the DAO. okay so bitcoin was revolutionary first DAO ever yep. right and there have been a lot of uh r- steps in the direction of the dow taken by different digital currencies the best the closest uh DAO that's like Bitcoin that exists to the DAO would be Dash. Uh, Dash has this thing called digital governance by the blockchain, where they actually take 10% of the mining rewards and put it into a fund where if you're familiar with how Dash works, there's net master nodes that hold a thousand dash and they get to vote how to spend those funds. Mm-hmm. For instance, Amanda B. Johnson has been uh, paid to advertise Dash's uh, network on her show. So that by the, by the DGBB, which is itself a decentralized commerce organization, mm-hmm. the main difference between Bitcoin and the DGBB and uh, the DAO or any DAO using the standard DAO framework is that Bitcoin and the DGBB have to uh, debase their own currency to incentivize human action. Mm-hmm. So they're literally inflating their currency so that they can then get humans to act a specific way. And the other big thing is that they're at a disadvantage because they don't have a full Turing complete programming language, Mm -hmm. a programming language that can do for loops and if and then statements and uh, Bitcoin and Dash, they're using very simple and relatively difficult to use uh, programming languages, effectively, and that makes it really hard to do cool things like, okay, now, Why don't you start a universal sharing network? (laughs) You know, you can't really program, incentivize that very well.
0: Right. So to put that in perspective for people, we could say that Bitcoin, for instance, is processing transactions, whereas Ethereum is processing lines of code. That's one fundamental difference, right?
1: Absolutely. I couldn't say it better myself. That is the magic of Ethereum because it's kind of like the blockchain becomes a hard drive, and that hard drive holds applications and uh, different different functions that you can utilize uh, uh-huh. on the c- computer, and the Ethereum network as a whole is a computer where the miners are the g- the CPU. They're the ones processing the hard drives code, which is the blockchain. And so, anybody who wants to uh, actually uh, run an application or utilize the computer, they have to pay a transaction fee, effectively, to the miners. To process their code. And that's, it's it's very similar to Bitcoin, except just as you said, instead of tracking lines of transactions, it's processing lines of code.
0: Right. Ethereum is kind of the world's first distributed computer, right? In a very real sense.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, it it has this problem that we're so used to really awesome computers, whereas Ethereum is probably about as fast as a computer from the early 80s. Right. So it's not it's not necessarily a very great computer. Uh, but it has specific attributes that are incredible. For instance, never down, mm-hmm. no downtime ever, mm-hmm. no chance of losing any data that's been locked in there, right. and uh, extremely secure.
0: Can't be shut down by anybody.
1: Cannot be shut down, and uh, it's never going to get a virus right. or anything like that. You know, The security
0: is top-notch. <laughs> This episode of Bitcoins and Gravy is brought to you by our good friends at MoonshineBootWax.com. Made by hand in small batches right here in East Nashville, Tennessee, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is the original all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is a proprietary blend of American beeswax and other fine all-natural ingredients. It's specially formulated to feed and protect your leather while also offering an excellent long-lasting shine. Whether it's your cowboy boots, your expensive wingtips, or your wife's favorite pumps, Moonshine Boot Wax is a must-have for gentlemen who care about their appearance. Moonshine Boot Wax is proud to partner with Community Food Advocates, a nonprofit organization working to end hunger by creating a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. Together with Community Food Advocates, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is making a positive difference in the national. Community one shine at a time. You can buy your very own four ounce tin today by going to moonshinebootwax.com, and best of all, you can pay using Bitcoin. Do you envision a day when Ethereum or something like Ethereum could be? As powerful as computers are right now, or as powerful as computers are at that time, the potential of processing?
1: I'm probably not the right person to ask for that, but there is definitely a lot of improvement being made in Ethereum. Uh, There's uh, some projects to make it proof of stake Mm -hmm. and to uh, do a scaling protocol that they refer to as sharding. Mm -hmm. That will really, I mean, once it's proof of stake, that'll be huge improvement. We might get into the early 90s. And once we get once we get proof of stake, and with sharding, there'll be uh the ability to really uh, to really take over some major some i i'm not really sure how it'll work for speed and uh processing power, but there will be major improvements at least for scaling and the ability to for instance create a universal sharing network with potentially millions upon millions of smart contracts, which at this point will be uh we require that kind of technology to come in. So uh, I don't know, to be honest, I don't think Ethereum will ever reach the power of a computer at the same period in time because it's kind of, uh, the way it works, it's distributed. And so it's always going to be kind of as strong as the weakest link of the miners. So, but we'll see, it, you know, I, I'm I'm a little out of my league talking about that, to be honest.
0: That's okay. I think you did a good job of describing what a Tao is. So uh, let's hear about what the Tao is. And of course, we're not talking about T like Tom, A-O, the Tao, because as we know, the eternal Tao is the Tao that cannot be written.
1: Exactly. It's the way, <laughs> the Tao De Ching. I'm a big fan of his work.
0: Me too. The chapter man.
1: 57, I highly recommend it. It really nails what we're going for. And that's why I call it the Dao. Some people call it D-A-O. Some yeah. people even call it
0: Dao. Dao, um, yeah, I hate but that. But I like- Dao, Dao. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I love the Dao. And so listeners, remember, Dao uh, De Ching, you can find it online by Lao Tzu. Chapter 57 is being recommended here by Griff Green. Thank you for that.
1: Absolutely. It's my favorite. Um, but in fact, there are a couple of people that want to call the Dao chapter 57 to <laughs> allude to the, that chapter itself. So it's definitely nice. worth reading if you're interested in the Dao. Um, so the Dao is simply computer, computer code, right? Just like any other Dao. Mm-hmm. but it, what it does is, is really incredible. It effectively enables people that have money and want to make a change in the world to directly connect, to people with a plan and the time to make that change a reality. So that is, that is what the standard DAO framework, those types of DAO, uh, enable a direct connection from, uh, people who have that really have a desire to make a change and people who have the ability to make that change. It cuts out all the banks, the lawyers, the accountants, the middle management, corporate execs, it's, those are all replaced with computer code nice. to really allow a direct connection. Uh, you know, the DAO is a for-profit entity and they, uh, we're hoping as Slocket to propose to build the universal sharing network for it. So the DAO token holders can make a bunch of money. Mm. And that's, that's really cool. And I'm really excited to be a part of that project, but I cannot. I really think that this DAO, standard DAO framework is going to allow charities to really thrive. You know, the ability for people to, Bitcoin has already done that. You can see that DAOs really allow the free, freedom to move money back and forth around the world and transmit value. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I remember there was an earthquake in the Philippines and people were able to send a bunch of Bitcoin to the Philippines oh, and yeah. it was there in that moment to affect change, right? Well, this DAO can be more purpose-driven because people can get in in advance. And they can, uh, my favorite example, and something I really hope to develop one day with a really cool team, is uh, an end the world hunger DAO. End the world hunger, you know? I I really think that a bunch of people could get together and send a bunch of money to a DAO. And then when, uh, once all that money exists, that DAO becomes, an option for people who want to solve problems and have, that are on the ground and able to actually understand what the real problem is and then affect that change efficiently with their project. So for instance, this, the, end the world hunger now could fund food banks all over the world. Hmm. Somebody could just make a proposal to say, Hey, I'm here in Ethiopia and I have access to get the distribute to distribute food to people, but I don't have the money to buy the food. Here's my proposal. I need, you know, $100 upfront and then probably $25 a week to really make it happen. Yeah. And so that proposal goes out there and people, let's say they, the DAO approves it and they approve it for three years. So they send a bunch of money to a smart contract. This is the real magic of the DAO and any DAO using the standard DAO framework you could send money not to the person but to another contract and that contract because of the code that's in it will say i will send you money or you can actually collect the money uh at so, uh, certain intervals so they would be able to get for that example the smart contract would give them a hundred dollars up front but then they wouldn't be able to get the rest of the money until the next week where they get $25 Mm -hmm. and then the next week where they get $25 and the next week where they get $25. So they are well incentivized to maintain their drive to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a big problem with charity where, okay, you get an ambitious project and you give the person a lot of money and they start going really well, but now they have all this money in their bank account. Where's the incentive and the drive to continue? Things get kind of left to the side. Well, mm-hmm. with this, they're con- constantly incentivized to maintain their structure and maybe even make it better so that they could uh, make a bigger food bank and get more money from the Dow to continue their project and be more effective with it. And this is the magic. And this is why I think charities are probably the premier example for this, uh, for the DAO, for the standard DAO framework?
0: Yeah, so let me add, listeners, that one way that a DAO or that the DAO is different from, let's say, a nonprofit organization that has a board of directors is that it doesn't have to go before a board of directors that sit around a room who are influenced by maybe their position in society or their position in the neighborhood, their position in the community, and then they come up with a decision that people are unhappy with. Tell us how a DAO A decentralized autonomous organization. Tell us how that puts more power in the hands of the people as opposed to power that you find in nonprofit organizations that is in the hands of a board of directors.
1: Yeah, you know, the really cool thing is that anyone can participate in a DAO. There's no limitations. If you have $1 or if you have $10 million, it doesn't really matter. You can send your money to the DAO. But the voting. Incentive structures are really important, uh, and that is really the, that is the real magic of the software development for Spockit. We are developing software that encourages incentives to be mutually aligned. So uh, if you put $10 million into a DAO, you're going to have 10 million times the vote of somebody who puts $1 in the DAO because you're more incentivized to actually research and look into the options and whether or not this guy in Ethiopia is a safe character to invest in. And maybe you'll even have, uh, other things that can support investigating whether or not that person is a reliable character or some kind of reputation system that you might want to develop as a side project for the end world hunger out. you know? Um, so, uh, the, the, but it's pretty simple. It's actually, uh, the real, the real issue is, uh, the DAO current system is built for security. So right now the DAO can only do macro management, mm-hmm. uh, general oversight and firing somebody because all they can do is vote. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a vote on every proposal. When someone submits a proposal, it takes two weeks and for a voting period. And then some and then at two to eight weeks, depending on what the proposal asks. And then, uh, people vote and then at the end of the voting period, If the vote passes, the project is funded. If it doesn't pass, the project is denied.
0: Griff, my only fear here is of course always human nature and let's say there's an excellent proposal. You and I agree with it. This is going to help this small community out in a foreign country. These people who really need a little bit of funding to get something started. Maybe it's a small organic farm. Uh, and you know we're moving forward with this. And then someone who has a lot of power because they have the lion's share of Dow tokens. A real heavy-handed. Let's call them a whale, right? They can influence this. And they let's say they're a bad player. Let's say. They're not a nice guy, and they decide no. I'm going to crush this, and I've got the power to do it because I have so many DAO tokens. I'm a big whale. What stops that from happening?
1: Oh, nothing. That is totally possible, with the exception that every DAO token holder is completely autonomous. Mm-hmm. So if if the if the token holders, if the tokens, uh, the majority of the tokens don't agree with a specific proposal, it will not pass. Mm-hmm. However. If that proposal is awesome and you and I really want to support this guy in Ethiopia because we know he is a great guy, mm-hmm. we can split the DAO and create our own DAO with mm-hmm. the same, same code. Everything is the same, the same agenda, and, diff- and members of the DAO, of any member of the DAO could join our DAO, mm-hmm. and then we could accept their proposal. They could make the same proposal to us, and then we could fund that proposal independently. So if a proposal comes out and people are excited about it, but it doesn't pass, there's always the ability to split the DAO and actually support anything that you want. Because this is the real magic, is that every DAO token holder is autonomous, and they control their funds at all times. You don't send your money to the DAO, and then you lose power, and then you just have to... Be you know subject to the the whales that make decisions. You always have control of your fund, a hundred percent of the time. So at any point you can split the DAO for any reason.
0: At any point you can split the DAO for any reason. So in this example, for instance, that big whale that was against the good idea—did they actually spend their DAO tokens, or were they just using them as leverage and they still hold them?
1: They still hold them, uh, DAO tokens are only for, are just voting tokens. So okay, when okay. you vote, uh, they just count uh, as votes, but you don't have to spend them. Okay. What gets spent is the money that backs the DAO tokens. Okay. So for instance, in the DAO, every hundred DAO tokens is backed by one ether. So mm-hmm. uh, if you send uh, one ether into the DAO today, you'll get a hundred Dow tokens, and at the end of the creation phase, If you don't want to play the game anymore, you can split the DAO, burn your 100 DAO tokens, and get your Ether back. Nice. Now, the thing is, as proposals come in, your Ether is no longer there, because proposals are funded by Ether, not by DAO tokens. Okay. So when a proposal comes up, it's always going to say, hey, it's not going to say, hey, I need $100 uh, in Ethiopia. It's going to say, hey, I need 10 Ether Mm -hmm. in Ethiopia, and I need... 2.5 2.5 Ether every week. And so Ether will go to fund that smart proposal. And as e- when Ether is sent to there, then reward tokens come back. Okay. Now, for a charity DAO, reward tokens probably won't even be part of the game because there's no incentive. The, the reward is the act of giving in itself. Okay. But for uh, a for-profit DAO like ours, reward tokens are going to have specific values that our smart contract is going to um, empower them with. Okay. So let's say that there's 100 Ether in a DAO, and then, uh, and it's the same ratio where there's uh, one Ether represents 100 DAO tokens. Then, uh, and then the, the DAO spends 40 Ether on a proposal. Now, each DAO token or each 100 DAO tokens is now backed by .6. Ether.
2: Okay. And
1: if you split, you would only get sixty percent of what you uh, originally sent in because it's already been allocated to another proposal.
0: Okay. Nice.
1: It's pretty complicated. I mean, there's a lot of math in this stuff, and you know, (laughs) I, I hate going into it, but it is important to talk to at least give some kind of overview about it because that is that's another innovation of DAO tokens. I believe we are the first token that's ever been effectively backed by another token, yeah. kind of like how US dollar was backed by gold. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we don't actually expect splits to be that prevalent. Splitting only really happens when there's a bad actor, like that whale right. who has a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, sp- splits effectively empower the person to be in control of their portion of the, of the DAO's fund. But, uh, in the end, it's much easier to just trade the token. If that whale's pushing you around. I mean, you could go through all the technical details and, and split the DAO, but, you know, you might just trade the tokens to someone who agrees with the whale and not worry about it. Right. Um, but the tokens will always be backed by a certain amount of Ether that's in the DAO. So you have less worry about uh, the price going to zero because it's actually backed by another currency. So for the DAO token to go to zero, if, if the DAO still has Ether, then Ether would have to go to zero. Right. So that's another cool thing about the DAO.
0: Tell us about Slockit and the DAO plans moving forward.
1: So, Slockit, we have a dream. Our dream is to build what we call the universal sharing network. Okay. And we need the DAO to do it because we, with the universal sharing network, we are going to decentralize the sharing economy and allow access to any object for any person at any time with just their cell phone. Mm -hmm. And we cannot decentralize anything. If we're funded by a bunch of venture capitalists or we ourselves are at the helm of this decentralized network, Mm -hmm. it just won't work. So we need the DAO to actually exist so that it can kind of manage the network and incentivize the network to be maintained and uh, grow. Mm -hmm. That's where the DAO comes in. It will be at the helm of our universal sharing network. And the next step that we need is something we call the Ethereum computer. I'm sure many people have heard of the Bitcoin computer, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a it's a Raspberry Pi with a miner attached to the top of it.
2: Yep.
1: So that uh the blo- so that uh, IoT can happen on the Bitcoin blockchain. Well, for the universal sharing network, we're using the Ethereum computer to become nodes of the network. So every Ethereum computer can create a smart contract for an object. And that smart contract will control the object. Just like how, if you have a smart lock on your door, you can open and close that smart lock with your phone. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the Ethereum computer, anyone in the world can open and close that door if it's connected to the Ethereum computer by sending a transaction on the Ethereum computer. So, the Ethereum computer is the magic that really connects the 3D world to the blockchain. So we need the DAO and the Ethereum computer. And once we have those two things, then we can build the universal sharing network. Hmm. The universal sharing network is a pretty big project. It is a literal manifestation of the self-automating internet of things. It is a permissionless network that allows for local and global interconnectivity and permissionless access driven by smart contracts. what I mean by permissionless, it's not truly permissionless. The smart contract was written in advance so that the permissions could be automated. So if you want, for instance, uh, some ice cream, mm-hmm. you could just look on your phone and be like, oh, where's the ice cream machine? You know, oh, cool. There's one not too far away. I'm going to go get some ice cream. You just send something on your phone. And then all of a sudden now you have the, you, maybe you send it like 20 bucks. You send 20 bucks to this ice cream machine, you go to get some ice cream, and then you don't even, you don't even have to decide how much you want. You get there, and you're like, you know what, I want two scoops of vanilla, I want two scoops of chocolate, and uh, one mint chocolate chip. And then you just push the buttons on your phone, and then it pops out, and you say, oh, I'm good. And then you'll get whatever money you want back. From, and so you have complete control of that ice cream machine for up to the amount of money that you sent it. And that would all be driven by the smart contract that is controlling the ice cream machine. Okay. So maybe I can um, break it up into different users of this network, and that will help understand how it really works. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So there's the end user, the guy who wants access to the ice cream machine. Or, for instance, maybe it's easier to think of it as a power drop. Uh, so you can, the end user will have access to almost any object or service, Without having to ask permission or coordinate with anybody, they can just, if they need a, a power drill, they can look on their phone, find the one that's most convenient, reserve it, put down the deposit, and go get it. So it's kind of like, not only is there not a third party in the transaction, sort, from the end user's perspective, there isn't even a second party. Mm-hmm. They just have access to almost any object directly on their phone. Uh, for, so that's one party end user which is what most people will be then there's the entrepreneurs so just like more people stay at airbnbs than actually host people at airbnbs i expect it will be the same with the network there will be a lot of end users and, a, and several entrepreneurs um but the entrepreneurs are driven by the idea of uh residual income from their stuff they'll be able to if they have something you know uh, one of the things that i blows my mind are storage units mm-hmm. just storing stuff in the united states of america on a storage unit is a 30 plus billion dollar industry
2: uh-huh, yeah.
1: people have so much value uh-huh. in those in those storage units are just sitting there unused yep. that they're willing to put 30 billion dollars a year into just keeping them in a garage yep. if you took just like one percent of that stuff and put it on the universal sharing uh, network it wouldn't cost people money instead it would bring in money yeah. and they'd be able to advertise that to anybody anywhere in the world right. and uh, globally and locally. And people would be able to access it, uh, without asking permission or coordinating with anybody. So like, for instance, let's say you have a cell phone, you know, uh, who hasn't, selling a cell phone on Craigslist is such a hassle and you have to like, sure you put you make the ad and then you put it up there. But then once you find somebody, you have to, coordinate where to meet up. Oh, I guess we should go to a grocery store or somewhere public. You have to hope that, uh, you know, they actually show up, that they bring money and all these things. If you could just stick it in a locker and then walk away and wait for somebody to go get it when they have the funds. How easy would
0: that be? I guess the complicated thing comes in with the phone or with the power drill or with the ice cream machine is you know, you get there and you've gotten the ice cream instead of chocolate, something else comes out and you're like, hmm, the right flavor didn't come out. Or you get to the power drill and you pick it up out of the locker and you take it home to do your project and it doesn't work. Or you take the cell phone out of the locker and you take it home and you pick it up to make your important call or do whatever you have to do and it doesn't work. So, you know, how do you deal with situations like that that require? maintenance that requires someone to act as an intermediary and say okay well you picked up the drill you've already paid the drill doesn't work now what do we do put it back in the locker
1: this is really the magic and this is an experiment i'm not going to lie the universal sharing network is an experiment oh sure it's an experiment with the power of free market and the idea of uh, spontaneous order so there's there's this idea that if you allow a true free market Problems will fix themselves because that, those problems will be incentivized uh, by the economic reality that people want those problems solved. So, we hope that third party service providers kind of they're the, they're the third uh, person that I mean, you just led me right into them, which is really nice. They're the next party I want to talk about. These third-party services, they don't need to get a business license. They don't need to ask permission from anyone. Because it's a global, decentralized, completely open, permissionless network, mm-hmm. anyone uh, can try to solve these problems. Yelp could come out with some kind of a decentralized reputation system that could rate that ice cream machine, you know, and people could give reviews, and maybe they'd even be paid to give reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be as simple as a nosy neighbor. You know, everyone knows these people in their neighborhood. They like to sit on um, their, on their deck and just watch, yeah. to make sure nothing changes, like <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they, they, uh, if that guy could be the guy, every time someone comes in with a power, the power drill to come in, they can't open the locker Instead, he's the only guy who can open the locker and he goes in and checks the power drill still work. And then when they, uh, you know, actually want their deposit back, he gives the final approval. Hmm. So you know, these, I, I believe that there are going to be complications. You know, uh, Airbnb has insurance, so we're going to partner with SafeShare, uh, a, an insurance company that will do insurance on the blockchain hmm. so that anybody who has the, has the option to actually use insurance, uh, that wants insurance on their house, you know, a deposit of a million dollars is not going to be feasible. So they're instead going to go for an insurance uh, project and. So SafeShare will be able to charge a little bit of a fee on top for their service. And of course, anyone can opt in or out of that service at any time because it's a true free market. And another, uh, another big thing is no one's going to use Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? I mean, we can't, we can't expect that to be real. We are going to need payment providers uh, that are going to be built on top of this free and open network. So hopefully they'll compete and eventually once the network actually has enough value on it, there will be multiple competing companies that want to offer you to use your credit card and charge you that 1% percent or offer, you know, uh, to use the local currency in Kenya. And there'll be an opportunity for an, a creative entrepreneur to step up and provide that service. And furthermore, because of the pseudonymous data collection that is the blockchain, these these third-party services will be able to do complicated market analysis that wouldn't normally be available to a, a person who wants to start a business. So they can actually see is this service going to be profitable? Hmm. Will it actually solve the problem? Is there a demand for it? Hmm. Um, so that's what I we're kind of uh, we're gonna of course to build this network to start, we're gonna make the Slocket's job what, what the DAO will be paying Slocket to do if the DAO actually chooses to support our proposal because it's definitely not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's funny because, you know, everyone thinks that Slocket has raised $80 million in the DAO. It's just not true. The DAO, oh, that is the DAO's money. We hope that they'll pay us to build the Universal Sharing Network, but there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. So if, what they'll be paying us to do is to build the Ethereum computer and to, grant, to start the network from the ground up making the initial partnerships with insurance companies, payment providers, you know, possibly dispute resolution organizations or third-party certification agencies. Mm-hmm. You know, these are really classic, uh, if anyone's familiar with Austrian economic theory, you know, this is going to be an experiment to test if those things can actually work.
0: Yeah, I think over time that they actually can work, that uh, Austrian economics will prove to be better uh, than what we currently have right now in much of the world. So, yeah, I'm very optimistic about everything that you're saying.
1: I really believe that what we're building is kind of the the dream of most digital currency fans. You know, this, this free and open network that can allow anybody to connect with anybody else and there can be as much automation put in between is almost just a bonus. And actually, that gets me to the, the fourth entity that really, interacts on this network. So there's the end user, the entrepreneur that's providing value to the network by putting their stuff on it. Mm -hmm. There's third-party services that are kind of greasing the wheels of the network, Mm -hmm. right, to make sure everything works, um, finding opportunities to to make a profit while contributing to the economy. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth entity is that ice cream machine, the autonomous objects that now have the ability to advertise themselves and interact directly with customers and well, with end users and entrepreneurs. So an autonomous object can actually advertise itself local, locally and globally and participate in the economy. So when I say autonomous object, you know, I'm thinking like drones mm-hmm. or autonomous vehicles like Google cars or beers, a beer keg. You know, <laughs> you could just walk up to a keg You know, maybe you have to somehow verify your age if you're in a certain geolocation with a third party service, but, uh, and then, or maybe you have to actually go into the bar and they'll card you at the door Mm -hmm. because just because there's a free and open network, it's not like, you know, we're free of laws in jurisdictions. There's still, it's not like the government doesn't still exist. There's, you still always, the end users will always have to pay taxes on their profits and, and follow the laws in specific jurisdictions so you might have to go into the bar and show your id before you can actually turn the keg on but the connection is between you and the keg and the keg even furthermore when it gets low on beer it can send out an advertisement on the universal sharing network and say hey who wants to refill me if you refill me vendor then you will get paid you will make a profit and all of this stuff can be automated. Uh, one of the really cool things, uh, we had a hackathon in October last year, mm-hmm. and the people that won it were called Soul Ether. And they created a solar panel that charges phones. And this solar panel has the ability to collect uh, money, specifically Ether, the t- currency behind on the Ethereum network, mm-hmm. and uh, build that up. So as it's charging the phones, Uh, it it collects money. And once it gets to a certain level, it can actually send out an alert and say, hey, I need new batteries. I need to grow. Hmm. If you connect a battery to this solar panel, then I will pay you money. If you add a solar panel to my array of solar panels, then I will pay you money. Until that solar panel grows and Takes over the world and takes up all of the sun, and we all just live underneath our god, the solar panel. No, uh, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but that's the kind of uh, idea that we have these autonomous objects that now have a way to actually participate directly by, uh, directly in the economy. And I actually think that they'll end up being run by small, decentralized, autonomous organizations on their own eventually. So.
0: Well, that's exciting stuff and when I think about everything you've said and then add artificial intelligence to that, we could see a world that gets pretty weird in the future and I hope that it doesn't get to the point where, you know, the human element is taken out of it. The other thing that I was thinking when you were talking was, um, if someone from another country who, you know, is in an impoverished state right now and they were listening to this interview, they're hearing about kegs and ice cream machines and power drills and they're thinking, man, I would just like to have some food and some and some clean water, you know, or some bleach so that we can get rid of the bacteria that's in our water. But, um, you know, I, I like everything that you're saying. It, it does sound so much like my brother who a few years back, he was talking about any day now. We're going to have Google smart cars driving all over the country. And I told him, I said, no, no, no. I said, it's going to be a while before the Google smart cars can go anywhere substantial. You know, from one side of the country to the other without some kind of human intervention. My brother was drinking that night and he got really angry about the whole thing (laughs) because he knew he was right that Google cars any day were going to be just any day, any day it was going to happen right around the corner. And that was like five years ago. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that there are so many complex things that can get in the way, just like here in East Nashville, driving down Gallatin Road. If you don't go the speed limit, 40 or under, you are going to have an accident and some of the things i see on gallatin road i'm trying to imagine a smart car not a smart car today a smart car 20 years from now coming up and watching that person coming over from the lane trying to merge in while someone else is turning left in front of me and someone else is turning right in front of them i'm trying to imagine for me as a seasoned experience and i consider myself excellent driver That situation is a really difficult thing for my brain to understand all I can really do to avoid, uh, because I can't control those other drivers, to avoid a collision or a near miss or whatever, is to just put my foot on the brake and slow down a little bit. Um, There are other times when all I need to do is accelerate a little bit or do a sharp little thing to the left to avoid, you know, a near miss. There's so many complicated things that involve so many different human minds wanting to do so many different things that uh, I think that a lot of what people want to happen pretty quickly, I think, is going to be complicated by human frailty, human mistakes, the human mind, the human propensity to be fickle and to be inconsistent and to be unpredictable and to get angry and to be jealous and to do things that are just flat-out outrageous and crazy and, you know, unpredictable. So I think that's what we have to contend with uh, with all of this, but I'm still fascinated by everything that you're talking about, aside from the ice cream machines. All
1: that stuff on autonomous objects, man, I I completely agree. I think it's way out, like, you know, 20 years in the future kind of stuff. Uh, And really, I, I don't think that autonomous objects can live in this world. It's kind of like saying... Oh, railroads are the future, but there's no tracks yet. <laughs> right, you know, you're gonna have to. Yeah, the roads are gonna have to change if you want autonomous vehicles driving on. The so one thing I really want to end on is one of the things that really excites me about what can be derived from the universal sharing network. Obviously, the universal sharing network is about entrepreneurs and and third party services that can extract profit by providing some kind of. Uh, facilitating the economy in some way. Mm -hmm. But I actually think one of the side effects of a network of this type will be a true sharing economy. So for instance, when you are putting that power drill in a locker so that somebody can go and get it, you can set a deposit of $50, but then make the price zero so Mm -hmm. that no one actually makes any money. If somebody goes and takes the power drill out, they have to put $50 in that to to open the lock they have to pay the lock fifty dollars and then they go and use the power drill if they bring it back they'll get their whole fifty dollars back nobody takes the cut of anything Mm. if uh unless there's a payment provider that's facilitating the transaction of course then they might take a small percentage but uh then but if they never bring the power drill back that's okay the power drill did not cost fifty dollars so the person that was sharing it will actually be totally okay if they keep the power drill. Maybe they need the power drill. Maybe it was a really nice power drill. It was really helpful for them. So they decided it was worth it to keep it. So now they have $50. They can go buy a $40 power drill, put it back in the locker, and they're incentivized to share their thing. I think that there's just too many ripe fruit trees that go unpicked, too many puppies that are not can't find homes, you know, leftover food from a wedding. That could, All those things could just be put on the Universal Sharing Network so that anyone who's looking for a power drill it's like oh my god there's mango trees that's incredible someone has a mango tree with too many mangoes i'm headed mm-hmm. right over and they'll nice. see that that's in their neighborhood you know that that's the kind of uh real technological advantage of having a global network that anyone can access for any reason i think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of really cool uh use cases that we can't even think of that are going to raise the standard of living Mm. of the bottom of the bottom 90% because of the abundance that is derived from this universal sharing network. So that's really where I want to end Mm. uh, the conversation because I, Every interview I've given, I keep forgetting to talk about the real thing that excites me about this project, which is a true sharing economy, not a rental economy like Airbnb, but sharing, mm. being incentivized to share your office, share your goods. Uh, that really excites me
0: man that really is exciting yeah because you know when you think about it as far as renting things yeah there's always that third party there's always somebody that's making the money you have the guy that wants it and you have the guy that has it and you know the person that makes the money always is the guy that stands in between or an entity that stands in between but i love the imagery there of you know you go get the drill and you use the drill and you put it back There doesn't have to be a profit made. It can literally be like you're talking about a sharing economy. I mean, that's brilliant. And I think that if we could see a future like that, yes, I think that we can have a much better world. And I think we can start training people, you know, from childhood on up to understand the concept of sharing as opposed to, you know, the concept that we all live by now. And that is, you know, make the profit, because if you don't make the profit, you're not going to be able to get what you want if the incentive is to share Uh, What a different world we would have. What a wonderful world this would be, as Louis Armstrong would say. Wow, that's exciting stuff, man. That's really exciting. It would
1: be amazing to get out of the scarcity uh, perspective and into an abundance perspective, because we really do have crazy amounts of abundance in this world. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that once we have a really good way to distribute that abundance, everyone will be better because
0: of it i love it man well this is great listeners you've been listening to griff green talk about slocket and the Dow. uh remember to take his advice and check out the to ching you can find it online i'm sure and uh chapter 57 which i'm not familiar with griff but i'm going to check that out this evening i'm looking forward to that griff Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm excited that you're involved in Slocket and the Dow. Uh, I am a Dow token holder myself and uh, I don't know how oh, nice. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to, you know, affect me positively I imagine in the future, but I am excited about it and um, I wish you all the best, and please, by all means, keep in touch and, and keep us posted about what's going on with the Dow and with Slocket.
1: Oh, thank you, and John. And I got to say, it's an honor to speak with you. I'm a big fan, and uh, to Satoshi still gives me chills every time <laughs> I listen to it. And uh, you actually introduced me to the whole concept of Bitcoin music. I had no idea there was uh-huh. Zhao Tong and, and all these other artists that actually create music that is you know, about the subject that I have been obsessed with for years. So thank you so much. Endless gratitude for introducing me to that world. And I don't know if I'm going to get the hero to Satoshi, but I'm going to play it after this.
0: (laughs) Nice, man. Well, you were too kind. I really appreciate you taking time to be on the show and to talk to our listeners and explain all of this. It is complicated stuff. I think you explained it exceedingly well, um, and I wish you all the best in the future. Griff Green, thank you so much for being on Bitcoins and Gravy. I'll talk to you later.
1: Ah, Thank you so much, John. See you later.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Griff Green, the crypto nomad and so much more. With his master's degree in digital currency from the University of Nicosia, Griff travels the globe telling people about the Universal Sharing Network and how smart contracts and the DAO are here to change the world. Godspeed to you, Griff, on your mission of truth. Special thanks to our sponsor, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax, the all-natural boot wax and polish to keep your boots, shoes, pumps, and stilettos protected and looking great. The Nashville Wax Company also offers the world's first 100% all-natural residue remover. That's right, Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover for removing stubborn, sticky stuff. Yes, it's like Goo Gone, but without the petroleum chemicals. Good stuff, folks. Planet Earth will thank you for caring. For more information and to order a Moonshine product of your very own, head on over to MoonshineBootWax.com. That's right, MoonshineBootWax.com. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, CryptoCompare.com. I now find myself checking in with them daily for a quick and reliable way to find out what's happening in the exciting and ever-changing world of cryptocurrencies. Check it out right now, folks, and save it in your favorites. That's right, www.cryptocompare.com. That's cryptocompare.com. And, of course, I would like to thank my listeners, that's you, for following me and for tuning in each week. And thank you also, friends, for your small, medium, and sometimes large tips. Much appreciated. I'm still a volunteer here doing what I love, and what sweetens the deal for me each week is when I look in my Bitcoin wallet to see that someone has tipped me. Tomorrow morning, when I go out to get my tea, I'm no longer drinking coffee. I will imagine that one of my listeners bought that cup of tea for me, and that will put a smile on my face for sure. Signing off now from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin capital of the South, I'm your host, John Barrett, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Whoa, 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 whoa. Until next week, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. So do something, make a difference, and be brave in letting your voice and your opinions be heard. I know there's a lot of noise out there, but people around you can hear you. This is not a rehearsal, folks. This is the real thing. Peace, y'all. And I know that it may sound absurd, but I have for you today a magic word. And today's magic word is green, G-R-E-E-N, green, as in the sentence, Griff Green is on a mission to tell people about Slocket, the Dow, and the Universal Sharing Network. We are with you all the way, Mr. Green, and I would like to remind my listeners of the following. A well frog cannot imagine the ocean, nor can a summer insect conceive of ice? How then can a scholar understand the Tao? He is restricted by his own learning.
3: Now climb aboard, y'all! This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. knows, till everybody knows your name, till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your, give me
0: some exposure,
3: everybody knows your name, sing it, oh Lord, pass me some more, oh Lord, before I have to go, oh Lord, pass me some more, oh Lord, before
1: have front row seats in the development of a historic technology that is doing things that have never been done before. And Every day that goes by, I just feel amazed at, at having this opportunity to be frontline observer and sometimes influencer in what is turning out to be perhaps a historic, generational, worldwide, impactful, disruptive change in technology, one that will create history. And That is an amazing feeling wo <laughs>